Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. I don't believe in magic, but I believe that coffee is magical. That warm, fortifying liquid is one of the most consumed beverages on Earth, and caffeine is the single most popular psychotropic drug on the planet. A lot of us need coffee to get through the morning, the afternoon, and the day, myself included. Also, I live in Portland, a land swathed in clouds and darkness and covered in a perpetual misery mist. And residents there, they constantly fight the darkness by self-medicating with coffee and beer, so there's that. So it's probably sensible that a beverage that is so delicious, so in demand, so relied upon, and so indispensable for going about one's day, would have a whole lot of mythology associated with it. Coffee is our daily chemical superhero. And, like any superhero, it has all manner of legendary origin stories ascribed to it. Today, I'm going to go over a few of those. How coffee was found, how coffee was spread, and why coffee is important. So, first up, here's the big one. The legendary and probably mythological first discovery of coffee in ancient Ethiopia. This is an excerpt from a 1922 book by William Harrison Eukers called, appropriately, All About Coffee. Quote, A young goatherd named Caldi noticed one day that his goats, whose deportment up to that time had been irreproachable, were abandoning themselves to the most extravagant prancings. One venerable buck, ordinarily so dignified and solemn, bounded about like a young kid. Caldi attributed this foolish gaiety to certain fruits of which the goats had been eating with delight. The story goes that the poor fellow had a heavy heart, and in the hope of cheering himself up a little, he thought that he would pick and eat of the fruit. The experiment succeeded marvelously. He forgot his troubles and became the happiest herder in happy Arabia. When the goats danced, he gaily made himself one of the party. One day, among chance to pass by, and stopped in surprise to find a ball going on. A score of goats were executing lively pirouettes like a lady's chain, while the buck solemnly danced, and the herder went through the motions of an eccentric pastoral dance. The astonished monk inquired as to the cause of this pastoral madness, and Caldi told him of his precious discovery. Unquote. So, in that story, Euchers, he is uh, placing it in Arabia rather than Ethiopia. However, I really like that version, because it has the phrase extravagant prancing in it, and extravagant prancing sounds kind of fun. This is by far the most common, the most repeated, and the most vivid legend about coffee. And around the world, you can find all manner of coffee houses called Caldi's Coffee, and their logo will usually be a goat herd who is dancing and a dancing goats, or maybe their logo is a goat, or there's some variant thereof. This is the big one. And I'll talk about a few other stories and legends uh, in a few moments, but I want to give this one some special attention. I like this story a lot, because goats are cute, and I wanted to know, could this story have happened? Not did it, it probably didn't, but could it have? So, I looked into the story elements. First, uh, were domesticated goats common, or even present, in Ethiopia during the first millennium CE, when this story supposedly happened? If there weren't any goats, the whole story sinks. Turns out that yes... Yes, there are a lot of goats in Ethiopia. They are still extremely common there today. Uh, they have been there for centuries, and they have long been cultivated for their wool, their skin, their milk, and their meat. So that part of the story totally checks out. 
Second thing I was wondering about, can goats metabolize caffeine? Does it really make them hyperactive? That part of the story also checks out. While I was diving into this, I found an agricultural discussion forum about folk remedies for goats that involved giving them either caffeine or alcohol or both, which, by the way, don't do. Do not give your goats booze or caffeine. And it turns out that, yes, goats react to those chemicals a lot like humans do. So dancing goats are conceivable. Another question, would eating from the coffee plant also make you hyperactive? Or would you have to roast the beans and drink the beverage to get the desired effect? So caffeine, it is not the result of some chemical reaction in the roasting process. Uh, it occurs naturally throughout the plant, not just in the berries. And the going theory is that it evolved as a natural insecticide. Any coffee enthusiast can tell you that a lighter roast will have more caffeine than a dark one. That roasting process actually destroys some of the caffeine rather than enhancing it. And this is all sort of counterintuitive because we associate darkness with powerful things like Panthers and Darth Vader and Nazgul, but there it is. So, yes, the story of the dancing goats, possible. It could have happened. I want it to have happened, but not probable. So that's the big one. That's the origin of coffee. And there are other stories about coffee's spread, propagation, etc., the first written instance we get of coffee is from an Islamic scholar and physician called Al-Razi, and he talked about coffee in a medicinal sense. Basically, he said that it cured what ails you. Coffee spread from Ethiopia and throughout the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, it was especially popular in Yemen, and one of the nicknames for coffee, at least in the Western world, was the wine of Islam, which is kind of a cool nickname. So there are, of course, stories about coffee, this newfangled exciting beverage, being controversial in the Muslim world as it got more and more popular. Most prominently, in 1511, the governor of Mecca banned coffee. I have read two reasons why he might have done this, one political and one religious. One was that coffee houses in Mecca served as gathering places and discussion forums, and the governor was worried about citizens gathering in a single place to talk about matters of the day. He wanted to suppress perceived sedition that might result from people getting together and grousing about their situation. So, ban coffee. The other reason that the governor might have had for getting rid of everyone's favorite wake-up juice is a religious one. The physical effects of caffeine were thought, by some Islamic scholars at the time, to be a form of intoxication, and therefore it should be just as taboo as alcohol. So, and this is, again, a colorful anecdote that I like but probably didn't happen, the governor put an actual vessel of actual coffee on trial in a courtroom while various experts discussed and debated in front of it as if it were an actual defendant. And they came back with a guilty verdict. They said, yep, the physical effects of caffeine are a form of intoxication, just like alcohol, it's banned. Whatever the reason, though, the Meccan governor's decision to get rid of coffee proved to be unpopular. And the Sultan of Cairo, who outranked the governor, overturned the ban. Mecca had coffee once again. So, good move, Sultan of Cairo. Way to check and balance another branch of government. So coffee, previously associated with the Islamic world, but now the new world grows plenty of it. And, of course, there is an origin story about coffee's initial transit from the Eastern Hemisphere 
to the Western Hemisphere. Supposedly, a Frenchman named Gabriel de Clue introduced it to Martinique in 1720. The story goes that on the voyage there was a storm. Uh, one of the water casks on de Clue's boat burst open. They had a water shortage, so there was rationing. People would get a reduced amount of water for that voyage. De Clue, he had this coffee tree in a pot on the deck of the boat, and he had a choice to make. Either he let the tree die from lack of watering, or he go thirsty himself and watered a tree. De Clue, he shared his water ration with the plant, going thirsty himself so that the precious tree could make it all the way to the new world. And thus, coffee was introduced to Martinique. But even if that story did happen, uh, de Clou's plant probably wasn't the first one to make it to the Western Hemisphere. Apparently, there had been coffee in the Caribbean and in the northern part of South America since the 17-teens. So even if the thing with the clue and the tree actually happened, it wasn't the origin story of coffee in the Western Hemisphere. His tree might have been special, sure, but it wouldn't have been unique. Today, Brazil is now the world's largest producer of coffee, and in that country, Francisco de Melo Palheta is considered the father of Brazilian coffee. And, of course, there is a colorful story as to why. So, according to legend, de Melo Palheta was dispatched by the Portuguese crown to obtain this newfangled, valuable plant from the authorities in French Guiana. However, the French colonial governor was not really interested in trading for this coffee. The governor was more interested in maintaining a local monopoly on the crop than trading for it. So, traditional means of trade, negotiation, deal-making, etc., they weren't getting de Melo Palheta what he wanted. If he couldn't trade for the coffee, he'd have to do something else. So, he turned to another means of getting what he wanted. His own raw, sexy, animal magnetism. According to legend, the Portuguese envoy charmed the French governor's wife, and before he left, she gifted him with a bouquet of flowers, and secreted within it was a cutting from the coffee tree. The coffee tree that he couldn't trade for, but that he could charm for. And thus was born the Brazilian coffee industry, now the largest coffee industry in the entire world. And I have no way of knowing if this actually happened, uh, but I really want it to have happened. I want to believe that one of the biggest and most significant industries on the face of the planet today got started because some dude was just too damn charming and used his own kind of sexy powers to bring coffee to his country. So I've got two more coffee myths, and these relate not really to the origin of coffee, but maybe the origin of the modern world as we know it. The philosopher and author Voltaire supposedly drank over 40 cups of coffee a day, and I love coffee, but after about three mugs of it, I generally feel like I can vibrate through parallel dimensions and gaze into the eyes of uncaring infinity. So I don't think that this is possible. If the author of Candide really drank 40 cups of coffee a day, he either had one hell of a tolerance or the coffee he was drinking was pretty severely watered down. Or maybe he just drank 40 really, really tiny cups of it. This story doesn't check out. Unlike the other stories that I've mentioned today, I don't think this is possible at all. And kind of related to and sort of adjacent to Voltaire, there's a school of thought that because of the spread of coffee houses during the so-called Age of Enlightenment, lots of scholars started subbing out coffee for the alcoholic beverages that they had previously consumed. So, 
guys in, say, London at Oxford or in the American colonies prior to the Revolution, instead of being in a constant beer haze, these guys were now on a perpetual caffeine high. And voila, science, philosophy, revolution. Suddenly you've got Isaac Newton, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, steam engines, all of it because these guys got wired instead of getting drunk. It's my understanding that this view is not really taken seriously by reputable historians, but you can find it repeated again and again, and it's an appealing view. I can certainly understand why this justifies one's own daily consumption of the beverage, and that is precisely what these stories do. They justify our own experience. In all probability, the real origin story of coffee is that someone in Ethiopia saw a red berry, ate it, and enjoyed the stimulating effects. So they told somebody else about it. They ate it, they enjoyed the stimulating effects, and so on. Eventually it became more and more common, and now, coffee. But that probably real banality doesn't meet the need that these stories seem to meet. That probably actual origin story of coffee, that's unsatisfying. That doesn't make coffee important. That doesn't make it exciting. That's not as fun as dancing goats, sexy Portuguese guys, or hyperactive philosophers who have 40 cups of the stuff a day. I've said before that we constantly try to see ourselves in the past, that there's a kind of human need, sometimes a misguided human need, to identify with the past. Drinking coffee is, for a lot of people, one of the most important and anticipated rituals of their day, and we want to see that ritual validated by the weight of human experience. We want to see our own reliance upon coffee reflected in the importance that historical figures ascribed to it. It was so important that some guy went without water on a voyage to water a coffee plant. It was so important that some guy resorted to shenanigans, resorted to charming another man's wife so he could bring it to Brazil. It was so incredibly potentially powerful that a government banned it. You don't ban banal things. You ban powerful things. And of course, luminaries like Benjamin Franklin and Voltaire and Thomas Jefferson and Isaac Newton and whatever, well, hey, they just couldn't get enough of the stuff. And look at all the things they did. These stories are all legends, and they're fun legends, and I like them. That's why I'm telling them to you. But in the end, I know that the joy I get from my daily cup or three of coffee doesn't actually need these legends. That joy is an end in and of itself. I, you, were sentient beings, and deriving joy from something in that moment, that moment when we first get into our first of who knows how many cups of coffee a day, that moment of joy is its own justification, whether those goats ever really danced or not. If you're feeling the urge to buy this podcast a cup of coffee, you can do that over at interestingtimespodcast.com. Click on the Support IT on Patreon button and sign up for a monthly donation. That would be amazing of you. Uh, go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. That would also be amazing of you. That does some weird electronic magic that makes the show easier to find for folks. So the more ratings, the more reviews that it has, the better. So do that so other people can find it. Also, if you like the show, uh, share it. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, etc. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your frenemies. That would be great. Uh, we're also on Stitcher. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. Thank you guys very much for listening. See you next week. Bye.